very high stakes, minimal margin for error and the fine, fine line that separates life as a cricketer and getting back to a regular day job. This is the latest Stump Mike podcast on ESPN Quick Info. I am Srinath Sripath and um, today we'll go about exploring a topic that needs a lot more coverage, life as a cricketer in the associate world, outside the big nations and what goes into the making of it. Uh, Pleased to be joined again by uh, Peter Delapena, who's uh, Crickinfo Bio Reads uh, USA correspondent, but in reality his ambit extends to pretty much the rest of the 90-odd cricketing nations. Peter, welcome back on Stump Mike. Always a pleasure to be on, Srinath. Likewise, likewise. And uh, today we're also in the company of one of uh, Associate Cricket's leading lights, a man uh, whom you'll soon be seeing in the Pakistan Super League, whom you might have seen already playing and starring in the Caribbean Premier League or in USA Colors. Uh, it's American fastballer Ali Khan. Uh, hello, Ali. Oh, great to have you with us again at Stump Mike. Hello, Srinath. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's good to be here. Absolute pleasure. And uh, also with us for his thoughts on uh, selections, scouting and how players get picked by teams is our own uh, Gaurav Sundarraman. Uh, hi, Gaurav. Welcome as always. Hi, guys. Uh, uh, good to be here again. Yeah, we've taken quite a while uh, to get over some technical snacks today. So, Peter, let's get straight to the topic. Uh, you've been covering associate cricket uh, for the best part of a decade or more, I think. And... Uh, you have your first book out, which is uh, Inside the Selection Room, which is sort of a behind-the-scenes look at team selections, what happens in selection meetings and how players make it to the top and some who don't and drop out. Um, sorry, that's just like a one-line description of your book, which I think is quite a labor of love, really. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about how and why you got to doing it. I think that one line is a much better summary than I could probably come up with trying to cram in the whole 400 60 pages. Uh, yeah, it, it's an idea that had been floating around in my mind for quite a few years in terms of trying to get access to what goes on in a selection meeting. Why do players get picked? What would be the tipping point in terms of why two players with fairly identical traits would result in one player getting the edge over another? What happens when it comes to team balance or conditions or are there plenty of other factors that get involved, whether it's things to do with age and wanting to groom younger players, give it new players an opportunity or, or if it comes down to something that's not skill related, whether that's work ethic or attitude or how team chemistry is, whether certain players get along or not and how that would affect the entire team chemistry and all sorts of factors that the general public maybe doesn't get a window to. And I'd seen it done in other sports, but I'd never really seen it done in cricket. And finally, when this trial came up in Indianapolis, Indiana, the ICC America's office was running an open trial in 2015. Uh, this was the opportunity that opened the door for me to, to get the permission and get the access to get inside the mind of somebody like Courtney Walsh, Mike Young, who for those don't know is famous American fielding coach who was a three-time member of Australia's World Cup winning staffs in 2003, 2007, 2015, and then Venkat former Indian spinner. And there were several other coaches involved in the process who helped with the selection, but those are the three main drivers of the process. 
and just to get their insights into what they view and, and how they evaluate players and their insights could be applied not just to the associate players who are participating in the, in the trial from USA, Canada, Bermuda, and some other countries in the Americas region, but those insights are, are universal that they don't change that mentality when they look at evaluating players, whether it's in the West Indies or India or in Australia or anybody else where else in the world. And I thought it was something that readers would appreciate trying to, to find out, especially those in the associate world who are, who are struggling to kind of figure out the right way to approach their training, uh, whether it's from a player standpoint or from a coaching standpoint, how do I go about picking the right players? And I think there were some coaches inside those meetings who, when they were exposed to kind of the philosophies of Mike Young or, or Raju or Walsh, their mindsets change in terms of how they should be picking players going forward when they go back to their own uh, national setups. And it was just a very, very fascinating process to observe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Ali, uh, you're pretty much the cover star and the cover story of the book, which is basically a very inspiring journey for, for those of them, those of the listeners who have not heard about you. You came to the U.S. Uh, from Pakistan in 2010. There's a chapter that uh, headlined Ali Khan, the breakout star who almost gave it all away. Tell us a bit more about how you kind of got into the USA team because you've spoken about how the first trials that you attended, the ICC Americas trial that Peter spoke about, you said that that was the toughest experience you've ever had. And that's that's quite a line coming from somebody who's played in T20 leagues like the CPL and soon the PSL itself. Yes. Uh, first of all, I would like to uh, congratulate Peter on his uh, successful book and I would encourage everyone to buy it if they want to uh, read and learn more about the associate characters like me and uh, this book is like a like a movie and they can they can read it and uh, get to know us more and that will also help us you know throughout the associate nation and other world and coming on to my journey um i moved to united states in 2010 with my family uh, my uncle used to live here in dayton ohio so we came straight to dayton and uh, soon after uh, some of my family left, my dad went back to Paris and uh, I continue here with my uh, regular job. Um, until a few years, um, I was still playing in the local league uh, in Ohio. And in 2013, um, I, was on, I was on Facebook and uh, there's this big tournament happens every year in Florida. It's called the U.S. Open. And uh, there's a guy named Matt Qureshi. He does it. And I contacted him on Facebook and I asked him, if I could be part of this uh, big tournament in U.S. And he said, uh, we don't know you, but uh, you can get your ticket. You can fly down here and then we can we can see you. So I booked my ticket. I went down there. Uh, I did well. Uh, we made it to the quarterfinals. I got four wickets in the quarterfinals. And uh, that was the one tournament that gave me exposure within U.S. and other to- local tournaments in U.S. And then... Um, from that, the next step was uh, how I got into the U.S. team. Uh, it was it was through the first combines that happened in 2015, just like Peter said and wrote in his book in Indianapolis. Um, I was part of the first 90 odd players in the phase one, and yes, it was it was the toughest uh, toughest uh, trial or competition to be part of because I was a nobody back then, and I was competing against all these players from all over the 
all over the associate uh, countries in Americas. Um, so it was it was quite hard for me because I don't know how to get ready for it mentally and physically. So I, I, I just believed in myself and believed in my ability. And I told myself, you know, this is this is the one shot that I'm going to get and I'm going to give everything I have and uh, rest, leave it up to God. So um, my parents' prayers were with me. And uh, yeah, I, I came out through that first phase. And then we went on to play against already pre-selected players from U.S. and Canada. And Bermuda, I think too. Um, that were that were to join the fifteen or fourteen from phase one. So th- we we got over the first hurdle, which was very tough. But then we had to go against the already pro players. So that was uh, that was I think it was even harder. But um, when they came in and we gave them a tough fight as well. So I still think the first phase was more harder because the guys in the first phase were more hungry. And if you read the book as well, there's also described that in detail, the, that the guys coming in phase two were a bit relaxed compared to the guys in the phase one. Mm. So that also gave us, they gave us, you know, um, an edge that we, we, we were used to the, uh, all the hard work from the weekend before. Mm. And yeah, um, from both phase, uh, then they picked the final team and I was uh, fortunate enough to be part of that team. And uh, we went to play in uh, Trinidad in the first Super 50. And uh, then from there on, uh, I went to play in the CPL the first year and then got picked into the U.S. team as well uh, later in 2016. Hmm. Peter, uh, just zooming out a little bit, Ali's journey, of course, is uh, something that very few of us hear about because watching cricket, full member nations playing and the average cricket fan probably does not get the difficulty of it. Just to put things in perspective, uh, Ali was working uh, in the mobile industry as a sales representative and uh, he got picked for the ICC America side despite not having played for the US. I think he was the only one to do that at that point. But in general, the life of an associate cricketer is such that the margins are very, very fine and you know, sometimes I think a lot, of, a lot of these players who come for these trials, they actually paid to get there. They actually paid to get there uh, and kind of attend the trials with the hope of making it. It is so different from what we see in a full member nation. Basically, first world problems, uh, the equivalent of it in cricket. Uh, what is it like to cover and kind of see so many stories from up close? And generally, what what was your experience working with selectors on the other side because you're the person in the middle who knows both sides of it. I think what was most fascinating to me to observe is something you witness on a regular basis in in the associate world with with a lot of these players is their their work ethic. And it's a unique work ethic. It's not necessarily, you know, on the test world work ethic might mean going to the nets for seven hours a day and just Steve Smith style facing 500 balls or a thousand balls. And <laughs> you're just so locked in and focused on cricket, 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 cricket. In the associate world, work ethic has, has a couple different meanings. You have your cricket work ethic and then your, your personal work life work ethic. And I think that's something that uh, shines for Ollie among several players, but Ali uh, definitely stood out in that regard because he's somebody who, if, if you read through the book, balancing that, that work-life, working cricket balance at that stage of his career, he's somebody who was working uh, 
not nine to five. He was basically working nine to seven or nine to eight because he was rising uh, quite quickly through his job. He was quite successful and and somebody who, when he came to the U.S., he didn't go to university. He had intended to go to university, registered for courses, and then got a job quite quickly. And his work ethic at that job allowed him to rise up in the mobile phone uh, business that he was working at quite quickly to become a store manager and then a district manager. So he was in charge of several stores, and that meant he had a quite a big responsibility. So he's managing several different stores. He's he's getting up at 7, 8 a.m., getting to work at 9, not getting out until 7, maybe 8 p.m. some nights, then he's going straight from uh, work at the mobile phone shop to a gym session or an indoor training session for two to three hours, and he's not getting home until 11 o'clock or midnight, and then doing the same thing over rinse and repeat the next day all throughout the week. So that kind of mentality is is something that takes a hell of a lot of commitment, hell of a lot of dedication, and a hell of a lot of perseverance if you really want to be determined enough to to continue on a cricket pathway. And that mentality, uh, when you do get that opportunity on the cricket field, people notice that. And that's one of the things that stood out uh, to me in the selection discussions. For as much emphasis as as there is on skill-based evaluations, and Ali Khan is, is a fantastic Yorker bowler, and that's really what got him noticed from a skill standpoint by Courtney Walsh and by some of the other selectors in there. But if you read through the book, the number one aspect about Ali that they keep bringing up that Courtney Walsh in particular and Mike Young in particular made special mention of is his attitude and his work ethic. And that is something that's cultivated away from cricket initially and is transferred into cricket. And, uh, that that work ethic, if you can have that in the associate world to the level that Ali Khan has brought, you understand why he has then been able to parlay that from a skill standpoint into T20 franchise cricket. And that's something that if you're a coach, uh, I talk about in, in the introduction, there's an Andy Bickle quote where he doesn't have any tolerance for people who have a poor attitude or a poor work ethic. And that's the thing that he looks at initially when he's, um, picking up players. I think uh, it's quite an American thing, Peter, the honesty and the relationship between the journalist and the player. I can think of so many names uh, from from our world uh, who would have questioned you back about how many tests you've played. So that's that's appreciate worthy from both of you uh, for making such an honest comment. Uh, Ali, uh, just coming back to you in general, uh, you the, the, the point I made earlier about your first combines being the hardest uh, that you've negotiated uh, what goes on in the mind of a cricketer when you go through a process like that? Because at any stage during that process, you know your career might be over and done with on one fine day. Is it almost a nothing-to-lose mentality when you went to each of these stages, from the combines to the Super 50 to the CPL to uh, the USA national team? At every stage, is it a nothing-to-lose mentality because you've been through so much hardship earlier in terms of making it to j- just this level that you know there's absolutely everything to play for for you? Yes, definitely. I mean, you have to think it that way because if you if you put pressure on yourself, I, I don't think you will survive. And you just have to go open and free mind. And most important thing is that uh, just believe in your hard work and uh, your abilities because those are the two things that will take you all the way. And uh, I mean, yeah. And I also feel that everywhere I go since then, it's it's like a child for me. 
So I have to prepare like I'm coming in fresh. I don't think that I've already made it because because even one one I mean one game or one one series or one tournament will take you back where you came from. So so I just can't take it for granted and uh, just keep keep working and always always look trying to look forward and always trying to get better and just always I always think that there's no way that I'm going back to that life and this is my work now and I'm just going to keep doing whatever it needs and I will I'll, I'm committed to it and I will give my time and everything and I'm just going to keep keep working forward and progress in this Peter that's so heartening to hear especially considering how difficult it is because you also covered in your book the number of names who have dropped out along the way there's so many who don't make it uh, to the America squad or to the US squad and then some who played for the US squad you you I think one of the points that you make really early in the book is about uh, the under 19 uh, lot I think you mentioned Craig Brathwaite and an American in parallel who used to be equally good if I'm if I'm wrong, if I'm not wrong that's Peters uh, who used to play at that point for the US uh in general the pathway is so set for players from test playing nations as opposed to the US uh that you can't help but notice the stark difference in in skill upgrades that happen between the ages of 19 to 23 somewhat absolutely i mean there's some of it is down to opportunity absolutely and exposure uh abiju joshi was the player you're referring to yeah there was a a tournament called the clayco under 15 uh international youth tournament that was essentially an under 15 world cup at the time and abiju joshi was basically neck and neck with Craig Brathwaite in the scoring charts. Abhijit Joshi was playing for the combined America's team that also had Stephen Taylor, who has gone on to have a very successful career with the USA men's team, and also Nitish Kumar, who's been a uh, Canada national team captain and a very successful uh, career with the, the Canada national team. But uh, there's not too much difference in the level of uh, skills between players from test nations and players from associate nations especially at junior level a lot of it is down to opportunity and, and uh exposure and and Craig Brathwaite being in a first class environment uh in Barbados and in the West Indies setup the opportunities he continued to have compared to maybe the opportunities that somebody like obviously Joshi has at under 19 level and beyond that's where the separation comes i mean if i think back to the 2010 or under 19 world cup Uh USA was the only team to bowl out Australia who wound up winning the under 19 World Cup in 2010 in New Zealand. And that Australia team was captained by Mitch Marsh. Uh you had Adam Zampa in the team, you had Nick Madison who's played for Australia. You've you've um got quite a number of other players who were in that Australia under 19 team who've had quite successful domestic Josh careers. Hazelwood I think as well. Josh Hazelwood opened the bowling against USA, he scared the the daylights out of quite a few of the batsmen for USA. <laughs> Uh but um yeah USA was quite competitive in that match the difference is when they left New Zealand the development that continued between 19 and 23 for the Australian players compared to the development for the US players was uh night and day i mean uh you're playing cricket every day in Australia especially if you've got a first class setup whereas those kids who came to New Zealand and then went back to America barely got any opportunities at um you know club level or exposure at the national team level 
Yeah, uh, Ali, uh, before we let, we let you go, just a couple of important sort of points that you brought up. One of which being that this is my career, there's no going back to where I came from, which is basically having a day job. Uh, how important has the opportunities from the Caribbean been? Because you started off in the Super 50, you've been to the CPL. But sometimes for a lot of cricketers, obviously, you've kind of won your place on merit in the cricketing ladder. You've played in a CPL final, you've won a trophy and whatnot. But even though there is a lot of merit to people's uh, talent and what people have achieved from the associate world, sometimes the world outside, which is the full member uh, and their full members in their T20 leagues, they don't tend to kind of take it too seriously. Uh, in that sense, the PSL move for you, uh, we're going to be playing for the Karachi Kings this season. It seems like a big stepping stone. Uh, talk us through how you look at your career at this point in terms of the opportunities from the Caribbean and kind of moving up here, which has taken quite a lot to uh, uh, to kind of get to this point. Talk us through this and uh, in terms of how you look at uh, look at your career itself as a whole, because the USA team does not play as much as the average cricket team from the test world does, for instance. Yes, uh, um, before coming on to the PSL and uh, Karachi Kings, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, after my first CPL, um, in 2016, I was picked for Guyana Amazon Warriors. And then uh, I was uh, in that first year, I only played, uh, got to play one game. Uh, I got the wicket of Kumar Sangakar on my first ball on, on the debut. And uh, after that, then uh, Russell came and then whacked me around. And I went for like... 3.549 in one wicket. And then I was uh, dropped for the next game and couldn't play any other game in the rest of the CPL in 2016. And in 2017, I got retained for the Guyana Amazon Warriors and I went there. Uh, I worked even harder, but this time around, I couldn't get any game at all. And uh, then come 2018, uh, I was I was dropped from CPL draft uh, from the CPL team and then I was not picked in the draft, so so there was nothing at all for me in cricket. So so that was like a setback to me because I wasn't retained. I had nothing to do, and I wasn't thinking of uh, like I had nothing to be get ready for because there was no contract or anything. And at that point, I had an option to either just go. Uh, as I spoke to Peter as well uh, in detail before too about this. Um, that either to go back work full time because I mean I would also want to uh, say that thanks to the the owner that I was working for uh, his name is Imran Sethi he he helped me a lot through this because whenever I need days off it's not easy to leave work and go play all the time so he he helped me a lot uh, too he was very supportive as well so but at that point he gave me he gave me a raise at work and he basically said look you already tried two years in cricket it didn't work out for you. Here, this is an offer. You just stick here full time. Don't play cricket at all, and I can help you out with that. And the other other thing was to just go and keep trying out for cricket. And at that point, I didn't have any contract in my hand for any league. Uh, so um, I, I gave a thought to his offer, but then I thought if I'm not happy doing what I love to do, then there's no point of doing this. So I told him that I'm gonna I'm gonna try myself one more time, and I'm. The coach at the time of USA cricket team, uh, Pupudu, uh, I had to go to Chicago Combines for USA team. And uh, I met him there and I also discussed with him. And he he told me the same thing that uh, don't give up yet. And uh, that 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 also hit me hard. So, um, 
So I came back and I gave him my decision that I'm not going to accept your offer yet, but still I'm, I'm very thankful for what you're offering me. Um, uh, and then uh, the same year we had a U.S. Open, and in that U.S. Open I was on the same team as uh, DJ Bravo, and he he was he was part of a team with his brother Darren Bravo, and uh, this was the first time I was playing alongside him, and uh, I, I bowled there. Uh, he didn't say anything in, in in during the games to me that he's gonna pick me or anything, so he kept quiet, but he was still very supportive on the field and helping me around, and. Uh, then there was this new league started uh, GT20 Canada and just a few months after and the next thing I know he picked he picked me and a few other guys like Hamza uh, and Rizwan Chima from the same US Open team because uh, he thought that we were talented enough to be part of that league and uh, he gave me the first opportunity there in the in the playing 11 and I got to play all the games uh, I got to play all the 10 games and I think I got like 10 to 12 wickets there uh, we lost in the semi-final, but it was a good run and it was a good experience. And uh, during the GT20 Canada, uh, I found out that uh, I was also picked for Trinbago Knight Riders, where DJ Bravo is the captain. So, I, I mean, I still think that uh, he's the person who changed my life from giving me those opportunities. And when we went to play on CPL, I was a third wicket, uh, third highest wicket taker for, for CPL, along with Imran Tahir. He was also third. And we won the final. So from there, I think my life onwards changed. And I also met my agent in Canada. His name is Eddie Tosher from Canada. And uh, he's also agent with Bravo. So Bravo introduced me to him and I got to meet him. And uh, he's a good man and he's he's helping me since. And, and the day I met him, he told me that... Uh, but that was before even uh, signing up for TKR in CPL. And uh, when I met him after after a couple of games, uh, he flew down from England to Canada, and he told Bravo that I want to sign this guy. And he told me that uh, I'm telling you this that you will not you will not have to go back and sell another phone again. So uh, at that point, I was like, I, I was like, what is he talking about? Like like <laughs> that that is very hard, and it's a big thing to say. Uh, but looking back at it now, I, I, I think that uh, that he kept his word and he's helping me throughout since getting contracts in the leagues. And uh, yeah, so so that was how uh, my journey came along. And uh, now I'm here getting ready for PSL um, and uh, gonna be ready for uh, gonna be playing for Karachi Kings. So um, I'm working hard on that as well. I'm I'm traveling back and forth from. Toronto, where I go train with the uh, Canadian player Saad Ben Zafar. Uh, we go; they have indoor places there, so we go train there. And then I was recently in Florida last weekend, uh, training at Max Stadium in Florida. So I'm trying to stay active. And then uh, when I'm home, I have a personal trainer. I'm working hard with him. So looking forward to the PSL because I think that's the next big opportunity uh, for a player like me going from US and the, and the first uh, first first ever player to be picked in uh, PSL. So. So I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be playing for them and uh, hopefully I do well and uh, looking forward to it and uh, uh, certainly hopefully I mean uh, my ultimate dream is still to get picked for IPL which hasn't happened yet I was so close uh, both times uh, much closer the first year uh, the previous year but uh, came close but didn't get picked but I'm gonna keep working and uh, try to get my ultimate dream. We have Gaurav Sundar Raman, who's uh, been listening to us over the last 30 minutes. Gaurav, uh, interesting that Ali brought up uh, IPL as the ultimate goal that he has. Uh, the, the point to note here being that 
we the, there are there are still people who dismiss T20 leagues as you know somewhat second tier to international cricket and whatnot. But listening to a story like Ali's, you 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 kind of tend to get a perspective of how it's become a great source of livelihood for players who are coming up on merit, who are coming through the ranks from countries like the US. Uh, he's playing in the Pakistan Super League. It kind of uh, explains and vindicates why. T20 leagues uh, are important to the game at, at some level. Absolutely, Shinath, you're right about it in terms of uh, uh, it's creating a lot of heroes. Like we've seen that with Rashid Khan and Mohammad Nabi uh, early on with, uh, in from Afghanistan. We saw it with Sandeep Lamichane uh, uh, from Nepal. So uh, it's not only livelihood; it's also about the fact that. Uh, they get to play under various situations. They get the exposure which maybe they wouldn't have got uh, if there were no T20 leagues. And say 10 years back, uh, uh, barring the uh, the World Cricket League and uh, the other uh, associate qualifying tournaments, they wouldn't be playing uh, so much cricket. And the coverage they also get because of these uh, leagues, uh, even if you check out the Big Bash, uh, the kind of coverage they get, the kind of... Um, uh, uh, reports uh, we get from various people uh, it's extremely uh, amazing for these kind of young young cricketers so yes uh, t20 leagues ha- has to be there and it's really flourished as long as it's kind of controlled and um, it ha- actually develops players so what happens now is since every single country wants their own t20 league and uh, that's actually affecting the calendar it's affecting workloads sometimes now we're slowly seeing talent being uh, spread and we're not seeing the same guy get more chances across all leagues i would like to see some kind of consolidation happen and the best players will automatically come if an ali khan uh, plays the CPL, he will play the PSL and he will get a, a, a gig at the BBL and the IPL. Now, I just feel sometimes we have too many kind of players and too many leagues, so the chances are a lot lesser. Yeah, interesting. So, that is true in a sense. When you said controlled, I, I assume you mean that regulated at some level or anti-corruption, etc., etc., which is really as important to the game as the on-field stuff itself. Uh, Peter, a uh, couple of quick points. Uh, Ali, of course, is not in isolation. His is one of many cases from the associate world or quite a few cases from the associate world who are kind of making up the moves and making uh, waves around the T20 franchise world. You have, of course, uh, covered the GT20 in Canada. You watched it live. It is one of the tournaments that acts as a pathway in that region. Uh, Have things improved for associate cricketers from when you started covering the game in the sense that do scouts and talent spotters and teams and coaches tend to respect talent for, for wherever it is from, irrespective of uh, the country or geography, and look at talent for just what it is? Like DJ Bravo that Ali mentioned, have have coaches and teams started doing that a lot more uh, than when you started covering the game? Absolutely. I think people you know who listen to part one of this episode with Ali Khan and one of the people he brought up was uh, Saad Ben Zafar. Now, for those who don't know, Saad Ben Zafar is a Canadian left-arm spinner, left-arm spinning all-rounder, depending on how you would evaluate him. But primarily, his, his duty is left-arm spin, but he can bat a bit, and he showed that. In the final of the first goal of T20 Canada, he scored uh, 72 not out off 44 or 45 balls against the quote-quote West Indies B-side, who... 
if you look at it now, the talent they had was was quite phenomenal. They had uh, Fabian Allen and Brandon King, and uh, Nicholas Bourne was in there as well. Um, guys who are now uh, firmly established in, in the West Indies limited oversides. And uh, Saad put in a phenomenal performance. And if you read the book, uh, again, I want to stress, it's not just Ali Khan who's who's been profiled. He's the cover uh cover uh you know cover boy player who's featured on the cover but there's quite a number of players in in the associate realm who are featured in the book and Sadman Zaffer, Delroy Rollins who was just taken in the hundred draft for I believe it was fifty thousand pounds uh by the Southern Brave. He's had a quite phenomenal start to his career with Sussex and that has enabled him to get picked up in the hundred which is going to start next year. He's another player who was uh, again, a form, uh, from Bermuda, was in this trial in Indianapolis that was quite influential on his journey as well. But Saad Ben Zafra was part of this trial. And um, he again, just like Ali Khan, he's, he was somebody who was under the radar, not really noticed, didn't have uh, much of uh, an impact with his Canada career. But through the trial and through the opportunity that he subsequently got from getting picked to go down to the Super 50 tournament in the Caribbean, built up his confidence. He then got um, opportunity to get noticed down there. He didn't get picked on the CPL right away, but when the Global T20 Canada started, he got his opportunity to be part of the Vancouver Knights team. He was rubbing shoulders with Chris Gale and Andre Russell and Rossi Vanderdussen. And just the exposure that he got being around those guys built up his confidence. He goes into the final and has this incredible performance with both bat and ball. He took wickets in the first innings, then uh, was named man of the match because he uh, clinched the chase with Rassi Vanderdus. And from a stage where when he entered, uh, Canada, uh, excuse me, Vancouver Knights, who I think three wickets down in the first four overs, and um, has this incredible performance. And that performance got him noticed by the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. Yeah, yeah. Gaurav, uh, this is not the first time we're talking about the importance of personnel, players and coaches. Uh, again, just circling back to uh, Peter's point now and Ali's point about uh, DJ Bravo. The interesting thing is the partnerships that are starting to form between franchises. Uh, obviously, there's Knight Riders who own a franchise in the CPL and in the IPL. That's one pathway that exists. But there's also cases like uh, what we've seen in the BBL recently between um, Lahore Kalandas and Melbourne Stars uh, through, I think, Nick Cummins, who used to be part of Cricket Tasmania. So there's two Pakistani players, both uncapped. They suddenly get an opportunity to play in the Big Bash, which is obviously a higher standard of cricket than what you get uh, in a normal domestic interstate tournament in Pakistan, say. Um, do you see this? What are you hearing from inside uh, T20 franchises and the franchise world itself in that? Do you see this kind of extending and becoming more of a trend uh, with, with, with uh, teams around the world? Yes and no. Uh, just to give an example, uh, Rashid Khan, a lot of people uh, obviously know Rashid Khan today, but when he was playing uh, in the Bangladesh Premier League, uh, in fact, he actually uh, uh, bowled quite a bit to Mahela and Sangha, if I remember that year, and both of them uh, really struggled uh, against Rashid Khan. And that kind of the message passed to saying that hey, this guy is really good, he bowls extremely well and uh, they're uh, really struggling to uh, pick him. And 
that's why even during the ipl mumbai indians heavily bid for rashid khan the first year but they uh, obviously uh, failed uh, to the sunrisers so that is one way of selection where you have players who are actually playing and that is the best form of selection in terms of uh, actually practically playing someone and finding it very hard and the message passes to immediately nowadays so it uh, so that was at a slightly uh, uh, higher level in terms of uh, not quality but the kind of cricketers uh, who are actually uh, facing him and then you have the other layer like what uh, all of you are mentioning about coaches and uh, the franchise owners and the support staff the relationship they have uh, lahore kalandars i think uh, Uh, like you mentioned lahore kalandars came for a tournament emerging players tournament i think it's called the mike hasi trophy where they play with uh, uh, a couple of bbl franchises and that's how uh, they identified uh, uh, dilbar uh, hussain uh, uh, the guy who's been picked for the stars so sometimes these work sometimes they don't uh, again um, it really depends on the quality of the league where you are using that player how you are using what team you're playing for some some uh, choices can go really bad and some choices can uh, be very good um, even sandeep lamichane for that matter had a mixed bag uh, in the ipl is he started off brilliantly because that pitch suited him and uh, he was playing one of the uh, uh, it was uh, like almost a dead rubber for the uh, the other team so he was playing that game and uh, he managed to do very well but last year he got kind of a reality check so my point is yes it's it's definitely a pathway but i don't think you can just fully depend on that because it could even break careers you know one bad uh, season or one a couple of bad matches where you see have a an andre russell coming in and uh, smashing 24 of 10 especially in an ipl kind of environment um, you know people start judging you so quickly it's it's yeah. such a ruthless world today that uh, imagine if they got a second chance and sometimes you don't get a second chance so uh, look at harris rauf he had a brilliant start so things have got shaped up well for him uh, so it's a very thin line it's a good way to have that but to identify talent and identify uh, guys who can actually perform at the highest level i think it's not just about numbers and um, uh, it, it there's a lot of other things it's about uh, uh, fitting into a team how he plays under pressure how can he clear bigger grounds how can he play spin a lot of qualities and player feedback coach feedback is very important yeah um great point you mentioned because ali himself also mentioned about uh, facing dreras in his first season uh, in the cpl so you're absolutely spot on we have somebody who's already just spoken to us about it peter uh, again just before we wrap up i i'm just throwing it to you because you i mean i know you've written a 4 450 odd page book but what's the one sort of perception the thing that we as people on the outside think about selection think about how coaches and players think etc has there been a preconceived notion that you've had or that people have that's been shattered over the course of your research and experience with this book because for example there's something that you mentioned about attitude and courtney walsh liking ali's attitude uh, but say if there was another coach and he didn't value that highly if he was a stats man for instance things could have turned out so differently and we're talking about people's careers and people's lives here because that's that's such an insightful thing that came out of the book for me there's a room for a balance of of opinions and and there was quite a, a varied collection of perspectives that were inside the selection room from the coaches again I mentioned again recording Walsh Mike Young yeah. thank you to Patty Raju but uh 
Tiru Kumaran, Kenny Kumaran, formerly uh, played for India, who now lives in Texas, who was coaching the USA under-19 team at the time. He was in the room as well as a, a selector, Derek Pereira, who uh, played for Canada and, and is coaching uh, in Ontario. He's got Ontario Cricket Academy that he coaches alongside Davey Jacobs, who played in the IPL for Mumbai Indians. Uh, and that academy is, is responsible, and Derek's responsible for the dome of uh, – player like Nikhil Dutta, who played in CPL, played in the Bangladesh Premier League. Uh, so there were quite a lot of, of minds in the room, and and you would have sometimes a clash of, of philosophies uh, that one person and one coach in the room might say, well, this guy actually performed and, and took wickets, and another person might say, well, well, this guy just looked better. He, he looked crisper, looked cleaner. Uh, he I don't care what the stats say. Um, I think this guy's the way he presents himself on the field will actually transfer much more successfully to a higher level. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not necessarily a case of, I think one of the things that changed my mentality and I learned a hell of a lot uh, from being inside the room and it's changed the way how I approach looking at a cricket match is you can't just look at a scorecard and uh, pick guys based off of what <laughs> stats say. And, yeah. oh, well this guy, you know, the, the, the leading scorer at the trial and the leading wicket taker at the trial in Indianapolis, both of them were not picked. I never would have thought that a coach at a high level as Courtney Walsh would put so much emphasis on attitude and mm-hmm. work ethic. And not just him, but some of the other coaches I come across. I mentioned Andy Bickle before. Andy Bickle came as a guest coach to a subsequent trial two years later. Um, but, he was adamant about, I don't have time for people who don't have a good attitude. He didn't put it in, in, in those words. He put it in slightly different words. Uh, but but uh, that that matters. And I've seen it at club level. I've seen it at regional level. I've seen it at national level and international level. Mm-hmm. Coaches, I bet some coaches, they don't care how good you are. They will not have tolerance. or They've got a very thin leash for somebody whose attitude is poor and not only is it selling the, the player himself short, but if it's producing a, a bad influence on teammates, they don't want that player around to rub, rub off on teammates. Hmm. They want somebody like Ali Khan around or Sabin Zafar around who's going to have a good work ethic, a good attitude that's going to rub off positively on teammates and lift up the entire team environment, team culture. And so those are the two things that I think um, coming away from, from being inside these selection meetings, being a fly on the wall – that's what really uh, left left the, the biggest impression on me. Right. Um, thanks to you, Lasna, for your company on another episode of Stump Mike. We hope you enjoyed this slightly different uh, episode from what we usually produce about life and times of a cricketer in the associate world. Uh, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Twitter, Pocket Cast, or wherever else you get your podcast from. And uh, leave us a rating. It helps more and more people find the podcast. Uh, until next time then, uh, from all of us at ESPN Cricket 4, on behalf of Gaurav, Peter, and Ali, Srinath uh, signing off. Uh, cheers. <laughs>